This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and I ran out of guests, so I had to go back to the really the honey hole if you're one of those fishermen types. Talking to you, Jeff, bringing in my really good friend, Sean Tipping of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. So thank you so much for joining me tonight, sir. Uh, the, the pleasure is mine. Always great to get to talk to you, Matt. And while we're thanking each other for uh, opportunities and showing up and all that jazz, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Autotech help you build a technician, just like Build-A-Bear with their Build-A-Tech program. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutoTech.com. I've never actually uh, done or seen the whole Build-A-Bear thing, but that line gets me every time I'm listening to your show. <laughs> I don't know how many people have actually caught it. Brian Pollock <laughs> caught it when he we were actually recording. So I don't know. I tossed that in there just to see if somebody catches it or that or everybody does catch it and they just roll their eyes. Oh, Matt being Matt. What the heck? <laughs> Going for the cheap laughs. Cool, man. Well, uh, what have you been up to? What's new? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. How's that beaver going? <laughs> of course, right? Re- record a podcast about how things really don't go sideways unless you mess up. And of course, I have a 2022 X5 that I I followed everything by the book. And I've got ICOM A next and I, you know, hook it up all the way I'm supposed to. I put the car in the proper programming uh, state, if you will. You know, quality voltage maintainer, buckled the driver's seatbelt, flipped the door latches and let, you know, leave the door open because uh, it was in a light collision and it needed one of the front cross traffic radar. So in this case, the driver's side and you have to program it. Well, BMW, you don't just program a module, you program all of them. Every time? Or is it just if they're behind? Well, okay. Technically, I think if they're behind, then if they're up to date, it'll skip over. Uh, so it'll go through the programming. I don't know if auto logic counts so much anymore, but they're the first ones that I recall doing so. And then uh, auto has that capability where you can just program a single module. It might force you to do a cluster of modules. So maybe two or three. You have to do. You can't do just one. It'll force you to do uh, a couple others, you know, are pertinent to whatever's going on. Not unlike General Motors, diesels really come to mind, right? That you can't just program the engine control module. You can't just program the injector driver module. You can't just program the TCM. It's going to do all three. You really don't have a say in it. So it's really very similar to that. Only in this case, instead of you know two or three modules, it's 60 or 30. The heads up kind of started going haywire. Everything else just went to hell in a handbasket. Get hooked up with LMV Bavarian, you know, Justin Morgan. If you're doing any amount of BMWs, I cannot stress or recommend enough. Pay the monthly subscription and get hooked up with LMV Bavarian. It's owned by Seth Thorson, but Justin Morgan makes it go. He's the main tech support and he fought it for a long time. He got the heads up back. 
but um, the rooftop and the AC uh, module, if you will, they, I mean, they went no com. They're done. Yeah. Oddly enough, the BMW dealers stock these modules for a 22, <laughs> for a 2022 and the parts, you know, manager or parts counter person kind of let slip that these are problematic. I'm guessing there's not a lot of X5s rolling into the dealer going, hey, man, my, you know, my sunroof's not working. My AC doesn't blow cold. They're bricking them while they're programming them, too. So it'll be interesting to see if I can get any kind of compensation out of it. I'm going to assume no, but. What happens if I unplug those modules or pull the fuses for those modules before I begin the programming process? It'd be much better for Morgan to be on this, but. In my case, because it couldn't finish the programming on those two, it wouldn't do the programming on DME two. So now the car is done, dead. It's not moving. I'm guessing, like when it pulls the test plan, it knows what's it's all equipped with. And then when you got no com, I don't think it'll just skip over them and finish programming. It wants them there, and if they they're not there, you're SOL. Now a couple days from now, or after Morgan hears this, he's going to maybe call me up and say, yeah, yeah, you're all wrong. And uh, we'll have to do another episode. Where <laughs> I don't know if it'd be something where like every other module is at now a higher level of software. And then now you have other issues because those two you left out aren't. But again, I, I just don't do enough of that to really, I, I, I'm sure if, if I thought of that, a hundred other people already thought of that. So it probably isn't the solution to something like that, but man. I wish I knew more to, to be able to respond intelligently because, you know, I think like E, e chassis, we got, a, we got away with a lot. And then F chassis, eh, a little more shady. This is a G chassis. So I think it's even worse, less and less stuff to get away with. So we're avoiding programming F chassis with Autel long ago. And I don't know anybody that would even attempt, nor do I know if it's even possible to do so with the uh, Autel. E chassis, you know, you just program whatever the single module, or if you wanted to do the I level, usually could get away with it. Or if you deep sixed a, a module like I did using the ICOM and ISTA D or ISTA P, I guess, ISTA P, you kind of got it back. Like they had a module resuscitation routine. You could just kind of get away with it. This, I mean, I did it all with the factory tool. I did it the right way and I still got bit. That just sucks. Yeah, that does suck. It's like you weren't trying to do the Autel special where if it fails, you're just like, well, okay, China. <laughs> but you did it the right way with all the right stuff and it still bites you in the ass. Yeah, I think the same exact thing would have happened at the dealer, only they would have had the parts department there to go grab the modules, and the customer may have never known. I am exposed, so now I look incompetent, which, I mean, it's fairly accurate, but, you know, it just looks really bad. And there I sit, like, we might be eating these two modules to the tune of, I, I don't know, $2,000, $2,500. That's uh, one thing, especially when you're dealing with the general public, but I even find it dealing with shops in general is trying to explain a situation like this. Like I used all the factory tools. I followed the process. I did everything to my ability that I could tell that was right using the right tools and something went wrong. They're just like, 
well, you, you probably just didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> you know, that's the way they see it because they don't understand. Well, you just, you're just supposed to hit buttons and stuff happens. You must have hit the wrong button. Yeah, in a situation like that, man, there's it's doing the whole car. There's so much out of your control. I tried to explain it. You know, the collision shops, they're cool. The uh, customers, you know, they weren't irate or anything. They weren't, you couldn't see steam rolling off their foreheads, but you could tell they're disappointed. I tried to explain it in such that it wasn't throwing BMW itself under the bus. Like your car is a piece of crap. Sorry. I, I tried not to do that. I tried to be very, very adamant. This is the same exact equipment the dealer would have done. This would have happened most likely at the dealer as well. You just may have never known about it. I don't have the ability to hide it quite that way. They took it really well. I, I just said, really, the big issue is this is how BMW does it. And they've done it this way forever. You know, any other vehicle sitting in this shop, if we were going to replace a module, we're probably just going to program that module and we're, we're out. And that's so in BMW world. And it's always been that way. And they've had a couple hiccups here and there with different modules. Cast modules crashing, the, you know, HUH would, um, had issues with those. I didn't bring up that I thought I was going to have issues with theirs. It happens. Luckily, it's pretty rare. Or in this case, like, it seems like this might be a well known issue that BMW is going to fix something. You know, there's going to be an ISTA D because you, you program these th- via ISTA D, not ISTA P. ISTA D diag rather than ISTA P program. You, you program these via ISTA D diag. And I'm assuming there'll be a, there'll be an update. They're going to figure out what's going on or how to do it where it won't lock them up or brick them the same way. Yeah. Cause that's coming out of their pocket at the dealership. So, okay. So you get one of these tomorrow, different car, but you, you have to go through the same process. What's yours or what's your shop's uh, process at that point before you start? What do you do? Well, I mean, we're going to install like an altar or something and that we can make a <laughs> sacrifice or pray. I don't know. Something. I didn't tell them about the other BMW. I told them I've programmed a fair number of BMWs with no issue. So this is kind of a surprise to me too. And it sucks. And then the last time I had a uh, an issue, I kind of did it to myself because I was messing around, you know. You never know when it's going to hit you. You know, you're doing the same stuff, but sometimes it's you doing the same stuff or something you're feeling pretty good about. I've done a lot of these and then eventually one of these bites in the ass. So you just kind of have to be ready for it because, yeah, everybody's going to break something eventually. Just the way it goes. You know, not to repeat a whole episode, but the last one I did was a GM instrument cluster. Just, man, that was the first one in a long time. I mean... Well, I mean, to outright brick something like that just doesn't really happen. Like, you can have programming fails on many different car lines. It doesn't even pay to discuss uh, all the different ones, but you can have the programming fail. And there's certain reasons, like General Motors, sometimes the data bus doesn't seem to go to sleep. So you isolate and then it'll just program fine and connect everything back up and away you go or bench program it and you're good to go. The programming failed, but you didn't drop the module. Like, it isn't gone. You know, on Ford, it seems like Ford were really hard to brick Fords. Even Chrysler's, I think, were just the way they do it in blocks just seem to work better for if things go sideways. You just go back and reprogram and it kind of picks up from where it left off. I was at Keith Perkins' facility this past weekend for some training uh, for module programming and stuff. And he's bringing up the exact same thing that you're mentioning there with the same vehicle saying that. Domestic vehicles, 
for the most part, you know, for GM Chrysler, that it's, it's how they set up the bootloaders. And this, this is per Keith, what he said this weekend. So credit to him on this, but it's how they set up the bootloaders is that a lot of the Asian or import manufacturers for whatever reason, and I know the modules are probably coming from outside the US. So how all that works, I don't know, but where there's one bootloader and if something happens bad during programming and then that bootloader has gone, it's done. It ain't going to talk no more. Uh, right. Wrong zeros and ones went in the one place and it's over. But that a lot of the domestic modules like Ford, right? Ford, really robust modules. They have a second layer bootloader so that if the first one gets screwed up during programming, it has another layer that allows it to still talk. Right. And I say that like I know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't, but it makes sense because I've seen the same thing where the domestic stuff, it's pretty foolproof in the fact that you can screw something up, something can go bad and you get another chance, right? Or you cycle the key and it, the module's still alive, right? You cycle a key on a Nissan, it's all over. So yeah, interesting that you mentioned that. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. I stole it from somebody, but I don't think it was Keith. I'm almost positive as Thornton back in the day for his like Ford programming or introduction to programming is probably Ford because it was so easy. If you're going to do a J or, you know, of course, OE factory, but um, for J, uh, J programming, the Fords were a really good one to start out with. They're just super, super easy kind of, for lack of a better word or term, I guess, phrase held your hand. I think I'm pretty sure that's where I heard that. Because I think he intentionally was trying to brick one and he couldn't. Just disconnecting power, disconnecting it, shutting the key off. And it would fail. And then you go back and just program right over it. PMI. I had that with a Cummins module. I wasn't trying to, but <laughs> I might as well have been doing what I was doing. Uh, you know, really setting myself up for failure and wipe this thing to the point where there's like 
no flash number in it at all. And I was like, oh, this thing's bricked and the Cummins ones aren't cheap. It would still communicate enough to program the module. So something in there is still there to run the module at bootloader or whatever it is to wake it up and say, all right, send me something. I don't have anything in here. Was that new enough to do YTech? It was YTech one. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Some, sometimes it's exciting to hit the button and you don't really know, like, hmm, is this going to work or not? I don't know. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I had this Jeep. Oh, man. Probably like a 20, God, I don't know, 16, 2016 Jeep Cherokee. And uh, Body Shop sent it to me to program airbag and airbag module. And um, I, think, I think that one you had to do a... Uh, passenger presence uh, so the seat weight sensor and you had to do like the three levels of weight you know messing around with it with uh, Y-Tech and I see something where it's like blow bags blow all bags (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like there's no way there is no way so I decide I'm going to push the button (laughs) I just gotta know like there's no way this is going to blow every bag that'd be ridiculous this would be all over YouTube so I probably should have had video running or something, but yeah, I hit the button and yeah, I, I mean, I jumped high enough to smack my head on the the roof, but it didn't blow the airbags. What it did is it the headrests releases all the headrests. So they're kind of spring loaded. Sure. Yeah. 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 Spring loaded <laughs> to force your face into the airbag. <laughs> But that's what it did. It blew all those. It scared the absolute crap out of me. So then I went around the shop and just set everybody up. Like, <laughs> you need to experience this. They're, yeah, they're like spring loaded or whatever. The active headrest, you can like, you can push it back into its yeah, like yeah. loaded state. Okay. Okay. <laughs> scared the crap out of me though. It's like, what, I mean, what could it possibly do? And I hit it a little bit of a bang, nothing like an ex airbag going off but still enough to make you kind of go oh <laughs> oh man that that stuff's fun i mean you got to be careful so you don't you don't hurt somebody doing something but man that stuff's fun we had a it was in tech school like high school tech school like we had a shop in our high school but the washer nozzle had gotten jacked up and to the point where it was like tur- turned 180 so when you'd hit the washer, it would go straight out in front of the car past the hood. So we got everybody that we could to check the, the, the fog lights or the turn signals or the headlights, right? Hey, could you just can you check that? You get up in front there and then you hit the washer. Just, just do some. It, it, was, it was fantastic. That was, and I'll never forget that. So We had one of those old parts washers that had that, I don't know what you call it, like bendable nozzle <laughs> yeah, yeah so i aim it like straight <laughs> at you so if you're not paying attention you go and hit the button or hit the switch and it just shoots right out at you <laughs> we had a tech and a service advisor in a shop i used to work at one of the one of the first shops and they hated each other hey i mean hate whatever one day they started to really get into it and a coworker and I, instead of breaking up the fight, ran and got folding chairs so we could get a front row seat to watch, <laughs> which ended up breaking up the fight because they're watching us fighting over, you know, getting these folding chairs out and setting them up so we could sit down and watch this this match go down. And that all by itself ended the fight. So we do stuff. The problem was it would always ramp up like it would 
rarely just die unless someone, the, the manager, or the owner would come and be like, hey, you guys got to stop this. But if it just left to us 20 some year old techs, like it would just continue like grease under your door handle, taking the brake clean and unloading it in somebody's pocket while they're not watching or, you know, this, that sort of stuff would go on all the time. But yeah, it's, it gets out of hand if it's not managed when you got a bunch of 20 year old guys doing it. We would take the cheetah. The shop I worked at at the time was attached to a convenience store. It was like a gas station, all that stuff. And they'd have expired food that from the gas station that they would, they'd, they'd offer it to us as technicians because who cares about us, right? So it would have all these expired little Debbies and stuff, but we'd, we'd load the barrel of the <laughs> cheetah full of these. <laughs> Just launch <laughs> I, obviously we're super busy we had a lot to do but <laughs> harvey works at a canadian tire right if you don't know what a canadian tire is it is like a big mall attached to a, a big tire shop or a sizable tire shop and harvey used to take you know like small bags or nitro gloves or whatever and fill them with acetylene and light them off I've heard that's extremely loud when those things go off. Oh, yeah. The last one he did, he did a garbage bag. <laughs> and it blew the windows out. Oh, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't know if they actually evacuated the mall, but it's like it was that level. It blew the windows out of the shop. <laughs> it's like... We had lots of snowball fights, for sure. Anytime, if you don't live in a climate where it snows on a regular basis, I mean, the cars are coming in with snow on them, depending on how much you swept off of them, but they have snow on them, and it's just going to get thrown at your buddy across the bay. It's just the way it is, (laughs) particularly when he's not expecting it. (laughs) I don't know. There's a certain level of camaraderie, though, that's created out of it, especially when it's not very malicious. Like It's more than just co-workers there's there's you know the camaraderie and i think that that's pretty important i would say the way it's created now you know at least where i'm around is just trying to rib people or um, give them a rough time tease stuff like that just bantering back and forth that i would say a lot of that's created that way as long as you don't have somebody you know, who's really big hothead and can't, you know, takes everything very seriously or, you know, just doesn't have a sense of humor. You can get a group of people in a shop or a business or something and you get a little bit of that going. Like you say, it gets everybody closer together as if you weren't. If it was just all serious all the time, there's no jokes. We just do work here. Like you're not going to be as connected to those people as if you're having a little bit of fun and there's some jokes and things going around. So that's got to be a difficult thing. Like if you wanted that in a business or in a shop or something like to, I don't know if instigate is the right word, but you want to, okay, let's get a little bit of fun going here. You could easily go too far or you could easily piss somebody off probably nowadays more than ever. So it's like, how do you approach it? <laughs> I've heard of people doing stuff that's just, I don't know. At what point did that ever seem like a good idea? Like back in the day when they'd be rebuilding transmissions on the bench and they'd go either steal a piece or, or they would have a leftover used part. And then whoever would get that thing all back together, be ready to go back in with it. And they're like, Hey, what's this from? 
and then they start tearing it back apart. If I was going to do that, it would be if you start to take it back apart, the jig's up. I'm not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You stop them before they get too serious. Yeah. Okay. So we would do this all the time. Somebody big engine project, timing chains, pulling a cylinder head, whatever. Right. And they go to fire it up the first time and you take a wrench on whatever is metal yeah. near the engine. <laughs> right like oh man that doesn't sound good and the guy's just like oh gosh dang it what the heck did i do yeah that's that's a good one but you before they actually start taking anything apart <laughs> like hey dude or if they're doing like a fuel pump in a ford you go when they're not looking smash the um inertia switch you know so when they get done now it's still no fuel pressure but i'm not gonna let them drop the tank again we would send the the new guys that would come to do oil changes and stuff. That was actually the first shop that I had a full-time job at. We would send them over to the car wash next door uh, to get the squeegee sharpener. They're like, <laughs> they have it over at the at the car wash. We need to sharpen our squeegees. Could you go over there and ask them for it? <laughs> if it's in good fun and good taste, but that's the trouble is like, where's it cross the line? And that all probably depends on the person. And yeah, nowadays is a lot different than it was. I still give it to him. I don't know. I can't help it. You think it's different because it's mostly guys? Customer service rep evolving into a service advisor. I give it to her pretty good uh, to the point where customers have thought we were married. They're like, wow, how do you guys work together? Like, I don't know how I put up with it. And then they interpret that as like we're married or something, but rip on her pretty hard. And then, uh, yeah, the others we've had, I mean, plus I'm not singling them out either. I, everybody's fair game. If anybody gets the worst of it, it's the, the boss. I probably give it to him worse than everybody. <laughs> it, it does seem to keep spirits up. And then of course you're included. Like if it's everybody is kind of getting teased a little bit. Now you're part of the group where it's, it would be, I would think horrible if somebody's good naturally ribbing everybody else, except you. If everyone has a nickname, but you, you're like, Hmm, wonder why. <laughs> So, so we're encouraging hazing. Is that what the point of this episode is? <laughs> yeah, this, this is the hazing episode. <laughs> Gosh, you got to work together. You typically you're spending more time with coworkers than you do your own family. You might as well get along. You might as well have a little bit of a a little bit of callous enough to work out problems without them just becoming something more than they need to be. Like you can have even a heated discussion over something without it just deep six in the whole fricking place, like just causing so much strife that you can butt heads a little bit. And then 15 minutes later, you're going to lunch together. That's how it should be. And I, I think, you know, that little bit of whatever it is, teasing, hazing, hazing gets such a horrible name because people have that go so far with it, but just a little bit of it, it's kind of good for everybody. And I know everybody, not everybody, I know it's often attributed to just guys and maybe at one time it used to be but you know i don't want to say like we've worked with so many women but the women that have worked uh for us and do work for us participate just as well i mean uh, if stuff got to them early on it doesn't anymore they kind of got got the hang of it and the same as i mean we've had guys too that they just maybe take it too hard and you're kind of like yeah it all depends on the person how like personally they're going to take it 
from my experience working with the females I have in the industry, which hasn't been a lot, honestly, uh, I could probably count on one hand within shops. That's just the way it is out there. Um, still, still to this day, I, I, I find is that if there was a female working in the shop, whether it be in the shop or up front, usually up front, it's like everybody, meaning the guys were on their best behavior as opposed to if there was no girls around that was that's been my personal experience where like everybody minded their p's and q's and was polite when she was around or working with them and there wasn't a whole lot of just the sort of (laughs) ridiculousness uh that we give to one another and i don't know maybe that's like you're saying like bring them in have them be part of the group i i don't know i'm not i'm not sure how to manage something like that like i don't want to talk like it's all encompassing but the majority of women i know that work in the profession and even outside of it they don't want to be treated much different if at all are there certain lines they would rather not us cross of course sometimes it's hard to find those lines and some of them i mean everybody has a different range and and it doesn't matter who they are they just do but yeah, the vast majority of, they just, they're part of the team. They're engaged in all the same conversations. And uh, if you're going to say certain things about, you know, one thing, they're going to say uh, stuff about the opposite end of it. And if you can't handle it, then you better not uh, engage in that type of stuff. Usually it doesn't have to go to the extremes anyways. You watch younger people, they got to test boundaries. And I get it. And that's the way that works. But I just find that it works out much better, especially when they see it's everybody. You're not singling them out one way or the other, singling them out for teasing or singling them out for not teasing. And that's been my experience now, you know, this run I'm having on, I say it on a podcast and then it blows up in my face like programming. HR is coming for you tomorrow. Luckily I am (laughs) HR, so I might be able to squeak by this one, but um. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty small amount of women that I've worked with in general in the industry and then even less actually in the shop. I can think of one that I personally worked with. I've known other female technicians. I just didn't work with them in a shop, but uh, one technician and she actually ended up transferring to the f- the front end after a while anyways, but that was it. Um, otherwise, we've definitely had a lot as service writers. That's been more common. I mean, they're awesome with people skills. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it fits the role, but I think it's been talked about quite a bit. But what do you think is the reason we see so few back in the shop actually working on cars? Because I don't think anybody, especially today, is trying to keep anyone out of the industry. No, I mean, we're crying for talent it wouldn't matter where it comes from. I think primarily with a lot of that stuff, it's just doesn't appeal to that many. And generally, as a whole, I would say the service trades uh, or skilled trades, we have given such a bad name over the years. You know, auto repair, probably we've done more harm to ourselves than anything. But then as a society, like, and I know this has been discussed many times, but so many very hardworking people back to the statistics that it's generally men. So the fathers are sitting at their kitchen table after 
you know, sweating their tails off or whatever welding or out in the horrible heat building a house or whatever, working with human excrement as a, a plumber in, in that world, in like well and septics, if they're cleaning out septic tanks, stuff like that, servicing septic tanks. Those are really, really good jobs. Maybe not always pleasant, but you generally well paid, you know, offering benefits and stuff that we're just now catching up to. And I hope to actually, you know, exceed, but we're just now really catching up. All these people are, we're talking mainly the dads, fathers sitting at the kitchen table telling their kids, don't do this. Don't work like I do. Don't get dirty like I do. Don't sweat like I do. Go to school. We're going to help you. So I got this job, you know, and depending on how far back we're going with the clock, you know, mom maybe stayed home more often, good, bad, or otherwise. They worked and that paid for everything, including putting their kids through college, not to go into the skilled trades. And we're seeing it. I think it's changing now. I think more and more parents are going, you should look into this. You should look into being an electrician. You should look into being a plumber. You should look into being an auto mechanic, hopefully. We need more of them. The The fear of automation has to be real. The fear of artificial intelligence has to be real. I'm not saying it's there yet. You know, chat GPT, we did that episode together. It's a language model. It's not maybe technically artificial intelligence coming up with ideas and solutions and answers all by itself. It's probabilities with words, but look what it can do. Mind boggling. So any logical person would be telling their kids to find something that is not going to be easily replaced by automation. I don't know. I mean, I pushed really hard for my kids to go into skilled trades. Not, not a one of them did it. Blows my mind. I mean, my oldest son, so it'd be my uh, third oldest. He's now 19, but pushing two years ago, comes home with a flyer from school. One of the electrician uh, companies came in and basically the higher you on uh, at, I think it was like 18 to 20 bucks an hour as a, not even an apprentice, basically a gopher. And if you kind of show that you have what it takes, just like a work ethic, show up on time, listen, take orders and seemingly care about what you're doing, they will put you through school. They will pay you to go through school. So not only are you not accruing educational debt, you're also making an income and they have it all structured out on what's going to happen after you graduate school and get your certificate and you spend however much time as an apprentice and then take an exam, do what you got to do. Now you're a journeyman. You'll be making in this bracket and you do this for however long. And by itself, that was a pretty darn looking, nice looking career. And then yes, you could become a master. You know, this is the criteria to get there. And if you did it, you're now in this bracket. And that looked rather lucrative. Where are we? We're nowhere to be found on that. And this is like an independent small business. He's you know, an electrician. He's not, it's not some franchise. What did your son think about that? He probably was thinking about it until I said, hey, you should think about that. And then he went, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. So I should have shut my damn mouth, <laughs> which most people listening to this feel I probably should have long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Having that plan laid out, 
for for somebody who's looking that's huge that's absolutely huge like here's the steps here's how you get to where to, you can be I, I think that's a lot of what most of our industry is missing to get people on board right out the gate and in some cases it's just that there's a block there's only so far that you can get even if we were to lay out the plan for you uh but man having that and having the steps and having the ultimate goal it's going to be a big attractor for for a lot of people but then yeah on top of it paying for school and all that you know all that stuff and they're rolling the dice because they have to they're they're rolling the dice that they're going to invest this into you and you're going to at some point be a profit center for them and we do the same thing i don't know and in many cases the way things are at least around us i don't feel so bad trying to hire a lot of people and then letting them go if i have to because I feel like they'll be out of a job for three days. They can pick up something that will replace what they were doing. And I don't feel like it's that we're paying so little. It's that there's a lot of jobs out there. They're starting them out at really, it's hard to say high wages, but good wages. So I I just feel like a lot of the stuff out there on how to hire people is very optimistic. There's probably more stories of it being successful than not successful, but it's just how you hear a lot of people went through whatever training, how to interview, the hiring process, working interviews, they hire them. They feel so good about the hire. And two weeks later, they're firing them. Everybody kind of puts their best foot forward and puts on the show. And then once they're in the door, that's when you find out what, what they're really like. I mean, we've had people we've hired now, they're still with us and they're great. And one of them starts out and it was just stumbling out of the block. A few months later, it's like something clicked and now he's, yeah, he's terrific. Another one we just didn't see coming. Like we thought he'd just kind of be a C, maybe a really late B level tech. No, man. He's uh, right out of the gate showed that he is uh, a terrific R&R guy. So it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm just horrific at picking out character or whatever. It's tough. And I guess my experience from it comes from the college where you'd see these fresh faces in, you know, 18, well, even if you'd hold a program, like 36 at a time. And you can pick out like, oh, hey, that dude or that gal is going to be a stud. Like they're going to be awesome. They've got every, all the tools they need and a great attitude. That's the other one that's easy to spot. It's easy to spot like a great attitude. And I feel like most people, if they have that good work ethic and good attitude, we can, we can figure it out. We'll find the place for you. Right. But there are a number of people. And in that case, students and young people where you might not see it right away. And you don't know when the light bulb is going to come on, they're going to blossom. And unfortunately, depending on which side you're looking at, it could be several years. Like some people, they're just a little slower to mature or to gain whatever it is that they need. But you can be surprised by some people. You're like, wow, I didn't necessarily think that that's what this person, you know, was going to become or was going to be capable of. I guess I'm speaking mainly for myself is like, yeah, you see the what appears to be the same student group come in. Okay, hey, this guy's a A guy. This guy's a D guy, right? But not necessarily. And I, I tried to remind myself of that based on advice from the, uh, the coworkers that I had at the college, but then also kind of seeing it myself over the progression of just our short course. 
you don't know exactly when, but if you're running a business, that's tricky because you're paying them money and they have to make money for the business. And if they're not, there has to be a decision made of like, how long are we going to wait this out for this individual? And what you were saying is like, you don't feel bad about letting them go. You probably shouldn't because that's probably, can be, can be the best thing for some people in some cases, right? Like maybe this isn't for them. And that was the point where they realized, Hey, this field ain't for me. Or maybe it drives them to be like, Oh man, I got to do better. Rather as you just kept handholding them along, they're just like, all right, cool. I'm good at this. I'm making money. They like me. They're paying me. I don't need to get any better. Yeah. Sometimes that can be the, the kick in the butt that somebody needs to improve themselves. When I was going to my two year, uh, kind of that first year I was at a Ford dealer and it just didn't really end well for me. Yeah. It, it kind of gave me a bit of an F you attitude that I'll show you. I still don't think that if I stayed, I could have ever reached whatever level I, I'm at. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure I know what that means anyways, but I don't think I hit it. I don't think there's any way. I think it had to happen that way. Like, it's just like tumblers in a lock. You know, it, it had to happen that I went to the dealer, got some good reference material, got stuff to think about. You know, I, I know I had talked about it, I think on Compton's, the Jaded Mechanic podcast that I got to put together the SBDS, which is the service bay diagnostic system. It was a big box analyzer. And I got to see them use it and I got to kind of look over their shoulder and didn't know what I was looking at, but it gave me stuff to think about. And then when things kind of fell apart there, having a you know a few months delivering parts for CarQuest, that gave me time to process stuff. And then what really sent it into high gear was that, that third year diagnostic program. And that's where a lot of light bulbs went on. And then getting into an independent shop, it worked out that it was an independent shop, but it, I think any shop that just let me figure it out, that was so important that it happened that way. I think if it happens other ways, I, I don't think I'm where I am now. I, I just don't see it. Maybe, but I doubt it. Uh, it's crazy to think any one little difference, or you can go back to specific interactions with people or one decision that you made and your life is completely different than what it is right now. And you didn't know in the moment talking to that one person or you just made a decision is just what you did in the moment. And it, if that didn't happen, you didn't make that decision. You went the other way for whatever reason, just because it's just the way you were feeling that day, like your whole life completely different, right? That's, that's pretty crazy to me. And also I try to think like, huh, what are what I'm doing today? That's going to completely change the course of my life. But who knows? <laughs> it's name droppy, but it's the way it's got to be. You think about people that contribute to saving careers. Thornton, how many people do you know were out? They were like contemplating getting out, going to do something else. They're sick of it. Body's broken down, mentally broken down. John was hooked up, or I should say is hooked up with a guy uh, named Tim Hotelling with Automotive Seminars. So I guess a salesman, if you will. And how many shops did he call? How many shops did he walk into selling this class, selling this class? And they end up going and it lights a fire in them. They didn't even know they had a career course 
correction within the same profession, but they go from, you know, whatever they're doing, banging out ball joints, probably making okay money, dying inside. And then they see this whole new world. And yeah, it maybe didn't happen instantly that they were in that world, but they evolved to it. First one that comes in the mind because he's spoken about it extensively is Eric Ziegler. He was out. He was out of it. I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. And then if I remember the story properly, Tim walks into the shop he's working at. Okay, fine. I'll go. And now Eric, as we know him, does that happen without John? No. And how many times can you say that? Like, just imagine having that type of a positive effect on people. That's special. That's so special. Obviously, yeah, he's doing fantastic things and he's a very special person. And and yeah, I, I can think of a couple other people right off the top of my head that have said something very similar about finding him and his stuff. The other thing is like everybody can do that to a degree. I'm not John Thornton, right? Obviously, I'm not going to be doing the same things or influencing people in the same way. But, you know, can you change somebody just just one degree even? right? The trajectory changed that one degree in a positive direction. The impact that that could make on somebody. I remember another thing from, from teaching. I learned a lot uh, while I was teaching, but that somebody said like, you're not exactly going to know the thing that you say to the student that they will remember forever. And it's true. If you think back, like it doesn't have to be a teacher. You think specifically classes and teachers and stuff like that. There's things that stick in your brain that that guy said to you that you never forgot. And sometimes they're very powerful and meaningful, sometimes not. And I think about it like that person may not have been conscious of the fact that Sean was going to remember that statement for the rest of his life. But if you're working with somebody like a young person, a new employee, a student, whatever, should at least be aware of that in an overall sense that what I'm doing may, I don't want to take this as like, I'm super important or whatever, but what I'm doing in that position where I'm helping someone, teaching someone, guiding someone, something I do could stick with that person for the whole rest of their life, right? I'm not going to know what it is, but it might happen. So, okay, how can I at least take that into account when I'm interacting, when I'm doing something with this person? And hopefully what the things that I'm doing and that one thing that sticks and that stupid thing that I say is something that moves it in a positive direction. These are things that like that are kind of beyond our control, but at the same time, you can do something about it. You can be conscious and you can at least try to move in the right direction, I think. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I had a 84 Mazda RX-7, which was a the 12A motor. It was carbureted. When I bought it, the gas tank leaked if you filled it up over like three quarters of the way. So I found a used gas tank out of Arizona for like 50 bucks, bought it, installed it. it was great. I mean, my gas gauge worked, could fill it up all the way. Freaking just spoiled. But about a month later... If I ever really got on it, the thing would just start, you know, fish biting hard. Like I had no idea what to do. So I get my instructor to go for a ride with me. He's like, oh, I know what's wrong with it. Like, what do you, I mean, we've driven, you know, quarter mile and there's, you know, no scan tools or anything like that. He's just like, oh, I know what's wrong with it. So we get back and he's like, raise it up and see if you can find your fuel filter. So I find it. It's really easy to get to on that one take it out and it's full of like this red dirt dust red dirt 
So he's like, think about it. At idle, cranking or whatever, it's filling up the carburetor. It doesn't need to move much fuel. So the fuel filter could be restricted, but that's still going to fill up the bowl of the carburetor. No problem. You start getting on it, and now it can't flow enough to keep up. So that bowl drains, and it gets to the end, and then there's no more fuel. It shuts off. Engine speed dives down. It's dying. It starts catching up, fills the bowl up a little bit. Away you go. It starts just back and forth, back and forth. And that way of thinking hit me so hard so hard that it just started translating to so many other things, the way to visualize that. And that still carries with me, I think, just visualizing what's going on and what could affect this, what could affect that. And that was was a pretty powerful moment. Yeah. And being able to provide that for somebody else is pretty cool. If you have that opportunity, you know, I'd suggest anybody who hasn't at least, you know, attempted I say teacher, but I don't necessarily mean go do that as your full-time job, but like you're in a teaching role in a shop a lot of the times, a lot of the times if you're an experienced tech, because there's always new people coming in and always people who don't know stuff like that. There's your opportunity to do that thing, to help explain that process or component or the light bulb comes on partly because of what you what you showed them the information you shared how you explained something whatever it was like i think it's a privilege in a way to be able to do that for other people but it's so cool to be able to affect someone else's career or you know their their ability to do what they do positively so like i don't know why not <laughs> like i want to, i want to do more of that or as much as that as i can anyways to finish the story i put a fuel filter on it it was good for another month did the same thing again, you know, all on my own, not to blow it out of proportion, but it's like, okay, twice in a row it does this. It's this red d- dust. It's red. Where would that even, is it rust? Is it, where'd you get it? Arizona. Ah, drain the fuel tank and scrub it up really good. It was full. Should have did it before I put it in. Didn't even occur to me. I should have washed the tank. But now that was something that stuck with me, that just thinking along those lines still, yeah, I mean, I still think it affects me. So, yeah, those light bulb moments are cool. I, uh, <laughs> I don't seem to have a lot of them nowadays, <laughs> but I, I still try. <laughs> My light bulb moments usually involve, man, you're such an idiot. Ugh. I'll share with you this. I uh, went down to Keith Perkins uh, facility, like I mentioned uh, this past weekend, I brought my employee, uh, went down there for, he's got his J2534 and module programming course. It's like a two day uh, where he sets up, there's like 20 people, I think, plus his team. His whole team was there the whole time. Uh, Liz and the Zacks and a really nice facility that he's getting, still getting some stuff, you know, set up. Uh, like they've got more plans on getting it, but awesome place and an awesome course too. Uh, you know, I brought my employee down there just to get some formal training on the programming side of stuff because he'd never really had that. It's just what I've shown him how to do since he started. He did a little bit at Chrysler, but that was about it. But that was really good for him. Keith and Liz, they really took care of us. I mean, the food was fantastic. I ate so much food this weekend. It was so good. Um, the training was awesome. The people were awesome. My guy is saying, he's just like, wow, I didn't know you know, that there was this kind of training out there. He's like most of the technicians out there have never been to vision, never been to anything, you know, that's set up that way uh, where, like I say, they took care of us this whole weekend. 
and uh, he was impressed and learned some stuff. So uh, anyways, I guess where I'm going with this, I just got to hand it to, to Keith and Liz and their whole, whole L1 team down there all super awesome people and uh, really cool. So if anybody has the opportunity to go do that, I say, go take it. It's worth it. Yeah. It's turning into a a terrific resource for us. All of us, the L1 training website that you can subscribe to is well worth it. Now that he's got a space, he can start doing his training on locale. And that's, I mean, that's invaluable too. Yeah. I mean, I can only think of maybe a couple others that do that. Sean Miller's done that. Uh, Mario Ruiz's shop as lately has been putting on kind of open enrollment, if you will, to uh, pay money and show up and get some training. Matt follows those next. Yeah. The training will be is I have some cars I need help with and you're going to fix them for me. And then there's an attaboy. We've got McDonald's for lunch and get to work. Because <laughs> I care about your health. Going to go to Subway. <laughs> that would be a blast, though. I'd want to make sure to do it in like January though. So it's 40 below zero. Everybody gets the full uh, experience of Minnesota. Get, get Skundrich <laughs> up here. Justin Morgan. Yeah. Could you guys go push that uh, <laughs> Chevy truck in? It's sitting out in the <laughs> <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> Battery's dead. <laughs> we can show them what rust is and cold. The snow drip on you <laughs> yeah. once it's up in the air. Get that up yeah. in the air right away. You ever seen somebody where they're pushing a car and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why the shops I worked at never had car pushers. I've seen those now and I'm like, what the heck? Where was this when I was a tech? But you ever seen it where somebody's pushing a car and you hit a patch of ice and one of the people pushing the car just goes right, right on the ice. Oh man, it's brutal. Just brutal. The two I've seen, how they didn't hit their head is beyond me, but they went down hard. I see these car pushers at shops now. I'm like... Do they have these the whole time? Like the whole time, Firestone? <laughs> yeah, they've been around a long time. We're talking about the electric ones or put chains on the tires. Yep. Well, and then you kind of leverage it where you get the, the weight of the vehicle kind of on it. And it, they, they grip pretty darn good. And I think you can get some now with even bigger tires on them that really, you know, if you're really more on gravel type of situations where they still do pretty good. Uh, I don't think they're all that cheap. Yeah, I'm sure they're not. That's what we did. Finally got a four-wheeler. That's the only way to go because you can push or pull. Sure, which if it's 40 below, you probably don't want to push on that plastic bumper too hard. A step up maybe might be a uh, if you have a forklift that can get around and then build yourself a little bit of a... I, I guess you could buy them too, but you could build yourself a bit of a apparatus that looks very much like a tow truck and get under the wheels and... You know, just lift it up and off. It doesn't have to be the whole car like they used to do the indie cars, but just pick them up and then, yeah, drag them around or push them around that way. That I don't know. It still takes two people, but either one would be pretty cool. There's a used car lot that I go to that has a tractor and it has these forks coming off of the tractor that are really long. This thing will go pick up a car move it around wherever they got and just drop her in. And I was like, dang, that's, that's the setup. But the tractor's pretty big. So it's not like you're going to drive that thing right into the bay, but for them, they have so many cars and moving those things around a lot. It, it works out pretty well for them. So we pushed them all like cavemen, like every shop I worked at. <laughs> Four wheelers, a lot more fun. Also when the guys break down, 
you know, it's a small town, right? So we get, a, we get away with a little bit more maybe than other places that somebody's out on a test drive and they break down a mile away. You just hop on the four wheeler and blast out, push them back. Well, man, we're really good at killing time, eh? I don't know if we talked about anything. <laughs> no, we had two different things we were going to kind of talk about. And we didn't, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. We got something for next time. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on. And the uh, Automotive Diagnostic Podcast is one of those must listens that if you're in the profession, it should be on your um, regular rotation available on all your favorite podcast listening apps. I appreciate it. And I mean, honestly, I recommend yours to everybody in this industry as well. And it is awesome having, uh, you know, voices like yours out there to listen to. And it's like encouragement every week when it comes out, you get to listen to it. It's, it's awesome to hear the intelligence and the passion that you got for this industry. I love that stuff. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Yeah, I just really have a rough time with me and intelligence in the same sentence, but <laughs> I crack myself up often. Does that count? Thank you again, sir, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much to Napa Autotech for sponsoring this and making this all possible. And thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for really just putting up with me. That's about as high a compliment as you can give somebody. I give that to my wife all the time. She puts up with me. And most people are just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. So thank you again. And uh, until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com. 